Like you wouldn't walk over to a hammer and say, okay, what should I build with you? It doesn't know. The same is true with a degree. And yet we somehow like memorialize this degree as if it somehow is going to tell you what to do with your life. It's not a magic eight ball. So if you don't have any idea or direction on where you're going, whatever you do, a job, a degree, a relationship, whatever it is, isn't going to help you determine what's next. Your purpose is the only thing that will. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back to Money Talkers with your host, Cody Laughlin. I have Gabrielle Beauchet here with me, and I am super excited to talk to her. She is one of the most booked millennial motivators in the world. She has been called the next generation of motivators by Tom Ziegler and is a popular TEDx presenter, best-selling author, and co-founder of The Purpose Company. Her work has been endorsed by the likes of The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, Brian Tracy, Lewis Howes, and co-founder of Chicken Soup for the Soul, Mark Victor Hansen. Gabrielle has worked with everyone from presidential campaigns, the U.S. Navy, the Air Force, and all the top brands in the world. Gabrielle has been featured in many major media outlets, including Success, NPR, Sirius XM Radio, Bloomberg, Glamour Magazine, Business Insider, and the Los Angeles Times. She quit her job at 23 to start her first company, consulting for major brands in the government on how to reach millennials. Her breakout moment came when she was networking event and she introduced herself as the millennial expert to someone who would end up being her first client, which actually ended up being the U.S. Navy. Gabrielle has written five books ranging from millennial motivation, next generation entrepreneurship, and how to find your purpose. Gabrielle's approach to life, love, and business is a self-deprecating, deeply wise, and insanely practical solution that we need right now. And so with that, welcome to the show. Hey, Cody. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you because you've got such a wide range of, uh, you know, things that you can talk about. And so what I kind of want to ask you about is the one thing that I asked before the meeting was, you know, what is the thing that gets you fired up? And you said finding purpose. And so I'd like you to define what that means to you. Yeah. Yeah. Purpose is just simply what you have inside of you to help other people. I think a lot of times we overcomplicate it. It's become such a platitude of find your purpose and, you know, your passion is your purpose and all those things that we tell people as they graduate from high school and put onto greeting cards. And that's what people did to me in my early twenties. People kept telling me to find my purpose, which feels like really good advice to give, but really terrible advice to receive. And so through that journey, I was the kind of person that when someone gave me advice, I was like, okay, well, how do I do that? And no one seemed to have an answer. So this journey of myself finding my purpose turned into this journey and then helping other people find their purpose because I found something really powerful happened. 
at each stage of our lives, we have a hard time making decisions. We want to know what's next. We don't want to make a mistake. We want to make sure that we're not going to be embarrassed or frustrated because we took a left instead of a right. And I realized growing up that not many people teach you how to make decisions. And so what I discovered through that whole journey was that purpose is the only decision-making mechanism by which you have clarity and it's a regret minimization tool. You're not going to make a decision based off your, of your purpose and say, I should have done something different. I was crazy to go left instead of right. It really helps you stay aligned with who you are and who it is that you're supposed to help. Regret minimization. I have never heard that phrase before, but I like it. I, um, you know, what I like to tell people is just make a decision and live with it and go right. Because no decision is a lot worse than in, or indecision is a lot worse than the wrong decisions. Well, that's time. exactly right. And we don't teach people that though. We teach people don't make mistakes. Don't make a bad decision rather than recognizing for most people, no decision is the worst decision you can make. And I, I usually so. tell people what's the worst that can happen, be okay with it and move on. Because oftentimes it's the theory of what could go wrong that keeps us stuck rather than realizing that a ton of things could go wrong. And if you're okay with it, recognize you can deal with it, learn from it, move on, then you're going to be much happier with yourself and with your life. It's such a skill set to be able to be okay with your mistakes in my mind. Absolutely. It's it's not something that six-year-olds are are born with. They're like, they fall down. They're like, well, I really learned a lot from that. You know, it's not something that we, we develop. It's like a muscle that you have to, that you have to grow. And some people are forced to grow it. And some people refuse to learn it. You know, but I will say this. I, so my kids are seven and nine. And if you ask them, uh, how do you fail? And they say, you, you quit. And I'm like, you ask them what that means. They'll say you either succeeded or you learned. You know, and I feel like, you know, I was talking, I've talked to many people that do coaching and they're talking about rewiring, um, you know, adults. And I have asked several of them, like, how would you advise to not rewire, but to wire, right? So that if you got it right the first time where it wasn't, don't be terrified to make mistakes. You know, the other flip side of that is, okay, you know, how do you, how do you encourage to be able to take those chances and take those leaps? Mm-hmm. Because like you said, you don't want to be a Hallmark greeting card, right? Like you want it to be an impactful piece. And so how are you finding that um, people are getting through that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I love that perspective of how do you wire it right the first time? So that way you're not having to kind of clean up the mess. And, and I think a big part of that is kind of starting at the core foundation of number one, who are you? And number two, who is it that you want to help? We make purpose too much about us. And because we make it too much about us, we talk about things like passion, which I hate when people say, follow your passion, because if you actually look at the dictionary definition of passion, it literally says a barely controllable emotion. So if you're a parent telling your kid what to study and you say, follow your barely controllable emotion, they're going to be studying something very differently than in college. than they're going to be, if you're talking about follow your purpose, which is really focused on other people. So passion is about you, purpose is about others. Passion is also too a lot of things, a lot of times a hobby, something that you enjoy doing. There's nothing wrong with having hobbies and things you enjoy, but just because it's what you do on nights and weekends doesn't mean that that's the reason you're here on this planet. So again, the definition of purpose is what you have inside of you to help other people. The key word is others. That's the only way you're gonna be fulfilled. You're not gonna be fulfilled, you know, retiring, drinking margaritas on the beach. You'll be happy maybe for a moment, which that happiness could be fleeting, but
but you'll only be fulfilled on that beach. If you know that your life made a difference, the work that you did, the family that, that you raised and the life that you created helped other people. I almost feel like the difference between the passion and the purpose is an end result, right? Like there's a, there's a, there's a purpose to the end of it, right? I usually tell people to find that if they find their why that that usually will help them get through the difficult parts of the failure and those kinds of things. Cause people think they, Oh, if I follow my passion or follow my purpose, like it'll just be easy. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I, to me, the purpose behind finding that purpose and the, having that why is for the not easy parts, right? Yeah. It's the getting up. It's the making, it's taking those chances. It's the failing, you know, it's the fall downs and those kinds of things. But th- those are the reasons you get back up if you have that defined. And so how do you help people find their purpose? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that process took about seven years. So I started that process kind of early on when I started to really consider, okay, I can't really just follow my passion, which I tried. I was really passionate about politics. I went in and I ended up studying in my undergrad politics and religion. So the two things you're not supposed to talk about at Thanksgiving, I was like, let's double up on those. And, (laughs) and as I started to follow these things that I thought were my purpose, it ended up being a dead end because it sounded good and it looked good but it wasn't who I was and how it was that I was, how I was wired to help other people. And, and so through that journey, I ended up actually finding my husband and he and I kind of together developed this process that we have in our book called the purpose factor, which is really this four-step system to be able to help people. Number one, identify what role do you tend to play? So are you the one who's always teaching other people or selling other people or building things? We have these different types that we walk people through to get extreme clarity about their purpose. Then we go through what kind of skills and abilities have you developed? Because your purpose has to be applied to what you get to do every day. It's not this, you know, ethereal, fluffy, you know, cotton candy cloud of, of, you know, of existentialism. It's actually something you apply and what you can get paid for. We help people focus on what we call pull passion, which is really the types of problems in the world you want to solve. And in this, Cody, I want to highlight, put stars around whatever emoji of your choice is that we, all of us are problem solvers. Whether you're a barista or the president of the United States, you are here to solve problems for other people. And so the better that you get at that, the more you'll get paid, the more clear you are on the types of problems you solve and how you uniquely are equipped to solve those problems, the better jobs you're going to get, the better clarity you're going to get on that next step if you're if you should start a business or should go to college or go back to school. So the clarity you get on the types of problems that you solve for other people is really the linchpin to really helping you determine what you want to do next. And then I'd say finally, origin story. Origin story is something really powerful and it's the moments that most shaped your perspective. Typically something that happened before the age of 20. So as we work with students, because we work at a lot of universities, we speak at a lot of universities, work with a lot of young people, it's helping them reframe what's happened to them. Mm -hmm. So whether it is a trauma or a loss, a betrayal, maybe feeling rejected, helping them understand how that challenge that has been kind of presented in front of them is an invitation for them to be able to help other people through that process. It really helps open up a very clear door for many of these people on what types of problems that they want to solve for other people. Yeah, I love that because I relate it back into kind of what I do with money talkers where I talk to people because a lot of people have shame or they have, um, you know, regret. Sure. And, uh, and, and really what they don't realize is that that's their money story up to this point. 
you know, they're a live writing book as they're going. And so the chapters are usually written that are already written. They beat themselves up over those chapters without forward looking to the chapters that they're getting ready to write. Sure. Right. And so I, I love that approach about finding your origin story and, you know, these things happen to me or these things happen for me. Right. I think it's the old Les Brown uh, mm -hmm. uh, saying that it's so important to not, not just identify it, but to embrace it. And that's your story. We all have them. And I think that's fantastic that you guys look at that part of it instead of just a how to, but a why, you yeah. know, back behind it. Yeah. And so as you, um, as, as you're, you know, advising people on going through and, and finding their purpose, you know, I love the fact that you brought up that you're a problem solver. And if you're, if you're, um, what's the word I'm looking for? If, if you're, you know, direct about the problems that you're going to solve, I think a lot of people still in their minds think it, it, matter, it matters the amount of time that I need or content for some people or the amount of value that I need to build over this. You know, I've got to do things for six months for you to be able to charge X, Y, Z. And I think that it, the mindset shift needs to be how big is the problem that you solve? Because for someone like myself, if you could solve the problem for me in 30 minutes, I'd be willing to pay more than if it took you six weeks to do it. Sure. And that's a big mindset shift for a lot of people um, because it's the problem, but you're identifying the problem and then you kind of talked about that. And so how do you, how do you work through that, through your, uh, through the purpose factor? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we really help people identify. And a lot of this is through the work that we do through our company and our program called Purpose Mastery, that we help people really identify the application of purpose because purpose without application is really frustrating. I know I was there. I knew what my purpose was for years and yet I didn't know how to apply it. I didn't know how to turn it into a career, either working for an organization or creating my own company. And so the application of purpose is something I'm extremely passionate about. And what we've actually found is the application of purpose is the develop of an expertise. A lot of people don't wanna call themselves experts. There's this kind of false humility of like, oh, well, I, I'm not the expert. Because we think experts have lab coats and PhDs and, you know, are at the top of their field, which really all an expert is, is someone who knows more than anyone else in the room. Now that room could be an elevator shaft or that could be <laughs> North America. But so many times people don't want to develop expertise because they have this false humility that they don't want to call themselves anything. So my life changed when I called myself a millennial expert and I was terrified. I had all of the imposter syndrome feels, which is a huge, you know, word right now in the self-development space, which simply means I don't know my purpose. So I had all of these moments where I felt like, you know, clearly if I call myself an expert, this woman's going to laugh in my face. And she didn't, she ended up saying, wow, we could really use you. And I said, okay, well, where do you work? And she said, the U S Navy. And I was like, oh, so the Navy of the United States. And she said, <laughs> yes, that one. And, um, it's been an incredible opportunity. I've worked with them for over eight years. But if I hadn't have walked in my expertise, now I had some experience. I had written two books at that time. I had, you know, been doing some research, but I didn't have, I wasn't recognized in my industry. I wasn't, you know, speaking all over the world yet. I had to start somewhere. And so I tell people, you call yourself an expert for them, not for you. If you're going in to get a, a, a surgery, you don't want the doctor to say, I'm not the expert here. They're like, okay, doc, you know, roll on out and find me someone who is. 
But there are two types of experts and I'll briefly go over them. Number one, there are the experience experts, which most people think of. I'm the expert because I hiked Kilimanjaro 10 times and I can tell you where to go, how to pack, what to do. The second type of expert is the empirical expert. They say, I haven't hiked Kilimanjaro, but I've interviewed these 10 other people and I've researched the conditions and what's best practices and how things have changed over time. The highest paid experts are both. They have the experience and they've done the research to understand. And so no matter where you are, if you're starting out in your career, you may not have the experience because you're 17, 18, 32, whatever that looks like, but you can become an empirical expert, which simply means I understand the context of things. And when you understand context, especially if you're early on in your career or transitioning, that sets you apart from anyone else because you can look to see why something matters, how it matters, and the application of what it is that you're doing. And so that's really the application component of your purpose is turning your purpose into something you can become an expert in. You know, I'm just kind of thinking of that as you're talking about it. The imperial expert is almost a newer type of expert, right? Like you, you used to only could be an experiential expert, right? And now we have podcasts and we have Zoom meetings and we have ability to reach to people that we would never have been able to talk to 30 years ago, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, I think about with my kids, like when they want to learn something, they know how to go out and get the information, right? And the same, the same kind of thing. So you can actually be an imperial expert by the fact of being, you're the person who gathers the information from the sources that are there to give your own context and piece to it. I don't think that was available before and I think it's a, I think that's why it's kind of a, a newer found concept because the older generations aren't, they're not going to know that or teach that. Like, unless mm -hmm. you've been, you know, unless you've been a business coach for 20 years, you can't be an expert. Well, that's not true anymore because you yeah. can actually, you can, between self-education coursework and self, you know, development and then access to people like yourself, right? Like I, I can now turn around and say, Hey, you know what? I've been interviewed a millennial expert in the field who's written five books and done these things i don't know unless you knew people that knew people i think the access is so much bigger now to yeah. be, be able to become an imperial expert what do you think about yeah. that it's i couldn't agree more and it's the the translation factor that i think many people are becoming experts around where they're able to say here are these truths that have always been around and i'm now translating them for my audience so that audience could be parents or kids or CEOs or professors, but the better you are at translating for your audience, the more um, trust you have with them and the more of an established expert that you become. And, and I think that's really what's so important. So when we talk about purpose, you have to focus on the who. Mm -hmm. So we don't talk about the why. The why is your motivation. The who is your purpose. So you have to first focus on you, but secondarily, who is it that you're helping? Because I honestly whether you're think, but I also think one more step to, I think the how is what most people start and it's the easiest part of the whole equation. <laughs> right? of, of course. Well, that it's the sexy part. That's yeah. the fun part. Like yeah. I, I can't tell you how many young people I work with who say, well, I want to start a podcast or I want to write a book or I want to get into drop shipping or I want to get into, you know, real estate. And so they find the how and they jump in on the how because it feels good and it feels like progress. But Stephen Covey says, um, he uses the example of putting the right ladder against the wrong wall. So it may be the right thing for you to do, but it's the, in the wrong direction. 
So again, that's why purpose becomes this decision-making mechanism for you. So that way, you know, if you're going to go to college, because that's a big question for the next generation, am I going to go to college or am I not making sure that whatever that next decision is that you're going to make is an alignment with your purpose. So that way you're not getting a degree just to check it off the list. You're using every step of your life, like a tool, like you wouldn't walk over to a hammer and say, okay, what should I build with you? It doesn't know. The same is true with a degree. And yet we somehow like memorialize this degree as if it somehow is going to tell you what to do with your life. It's not a magic eight ball. So if you don't have any idea or direction on where you're going, whatever you do, a job, a degree, a relationship, whatever it is, isn't going to help you determine what's next. Your purpose is the only thing that will. Yeah. If you don't have a why, I don't see the reason to go, to be honest with you. I know I left uh with a few hours left and it just killed my mom and I'm like I don't this doesn't have this doesn't serve me at all and she couldn't get that you know it wasn't she was like but you need your degree and I'm like no I don't like I'm gonna go be an entrepreneur or watch and then you know things progressed and you know she probably could have killed me for it but uh it still happened and, and it worked out and I look at my kids and you know like my daughter wants to be a veterinarian well there's a why to go to school because you need yeah. to have certain things that are that way if my, you know, if, if she decides later that she doesn't want to do that and she, and she doesn't, she's like, I don't know, I'm just going to go and get a communications degree. And I'm like, I'm probably not going to encourage her. You know, I want her to do what she wants to do, but I want, I'm going to, I'm going to try and find a reason why to do the things that she's doing, because it's exactly what you're talking about that. Why behind it, if there's no purpose for getting things or doing in a certain direction, it's like getting in a car and just driving and having no destination. Yeah. You, know, you can waste a lot of money driving around and a lot of time. Uh, if you're not going somewhere specific. Yeah. And more than that, I think it really kills willpower. Mm. So you're telling someone to do something just to do it, but there's no direction. Yeah. And so why it's, it's no wonder that we have a generation that looks like me starting and stopping careers every 11 months to three years because they're not motivated is because we use that P word, that passion word, that if you don't like what you're doing, you should move on. That's not true at all. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur. I, there are many things I do in my businesses that I don't want to do. There are seasons that I don't want to do the business at all, but I know that there's an impact. I know it's aligned with my purpose. It's just not fun right now. Mm -hmm. And so if you teach people to only do something that they feel like doing, it makes a lot of really weak minded individuals. And, and I think it's really hurt our economy overall, but I think more specifically, I help, I think it's really hurt a lot of young people. And so I think uh, it's interesting because I know a lot of your listeners are, are, are parents. So millennials who are born between 1982 um, and, uh, and 1996, the millennial generation was making decisions about their career in 11th grade. On average, Gen Z is making decisions about their career in seventh grade. Wow. So they have... a very practical, uh, very skeptical parent generation who's saying, don't go to school just because you want to, because they saw my generation go in. And on average, my generation is $38,000 in student loan debt. So they're seeing us be extremely debt heavy, not necessarily have the careers that we've always wanted to, not having the kind of impact that we've wanted to have. And so they're coming in very much like your perspective as a parent is maybe it's a good fit, but maybe not. And my parents' generation told us, you can do anything that you want. Your parenting generation is saying, no, you can't do anything that you want. Maybe find something that you're good at and apply yourself there. 
And so there's two very different approaches to careers that we're going to start to see really unique careers kind of spurt out of this because we have a very young generation coming into the workforce that's very practical. And that we're going to have a generation of managers and CEOs that look like me that are much more naturally optimistic, much more theory-based and justice-oriented. And so there's going to be kind of a clashing of values here in the next 10 years. I think it goes back to that empirical expert piece though, right? Like they reason that they have, I, you know, in, in the millennial generation, as the internet was kind of coming above, right? Everyone was like, oh, it's amazing. You can do whatever you want. It's going to be, it's just changing the world. And then and it's like, wait a minute, you got to use this tool, right? Like it's, it's really what it is. And then as I see with my kids, they are like, like they want to do something They They pick it up. They learn how to do it. It's done. And I think that college, you know, for used to be, that's where you had to go to learn things. And now it's sitting in your hand all day long. The world's yeah. knowledge is at, is at your fingertips. And so I, I see this kind of sea of things going and it's like, okay, when I, you know, as you mentioned earlier, like talking about how in, in your generation that, that as things are all going like in a certain way, right. Um, I don't know, as being a couple of years out of it and looking back and hearing all the, the, the millennial kind of uh, stigmatisms that got jacked to them, right? Like lazy, you know, needs all the, you know, participation trophies, you know, needs a passion and they, they, they need to, you know, all these like very flighty, like, I, you know, I, I've got to have Instagram lifestyles and all that kind of stuff. I was actually kind of laughing because I, what I typed in, I, I, I was doing a little research and I typed in like in Google, you type millennials are, and it was like, it came up with like killing capitalism, the unluckiest oh, yeah. generation, the new boomers running out of time, like known. And it's like all these, like, for some reason, the other two, like the, the sandwich generation that I'm in between boomers and millennials and then Gen Z just have not caught that flack. And like, I feel mm -hmm. like it's because I, 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 and it's kind of just, we've opened up this information world. And so was it, you know, are people going, well, you don't have to work hard enough on one side. And on the other side, it's like, well, no, and you don't have to work so hard because the information's there. Right. Yeah. yeah I think that it's a balance. And I mean, that generation that you're a part of Gen X is one third the size of the millennial generation. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to note now that Gen X, Gen X is extremely entrepreneurial. They're known as the latchkey generation. So, uh, you know, figuring out how to do things on your own, if you want something done, right, you do it yourself. There's that very, you know, stick to that that generation has that my generation doesn't necessarily. And, uh, and so generation X, because they're smaller, didn't have as big of an impact on the workforce, on priorities, on kind of overall infrastructure that either baby boomers or millennials had. So that's, I think, a, an interesting values conversation is because sometimes it is majority rule where millennials came in and said, you know, I don't want to... I don't want to go to traditional college. And then colleges were like, okay, great. So how about you take online courses? Uh, and that was before the whole pandemic really necessitated that for, for Gen Z and beyond. Um, millennials came in and they said, well, I don't really want to drive. And so they're like, okay, great. Well, what about Uber? Or I don't want to buy vacation rental properties. Okay, well, there's this thing called Airbnb. And so we've really changed the economy in a really fascinating way. Gen, Gen Z will, will do that as well. I mean, every young generation kind of does. Um, but there's this values gap that not many people are recognizing that a lot of people think baby boomers or millennials are the ones that don't get along the most. 
And what I've actually found in researching millennials, I wrote my first book about millennials when I was 17. So I've been in this space for a while. I actually think that the biggest values gap is between Gen X and millennials because Gen X almost is um, frustrated by millennials because millennials have had many things handed to them that Gen X had to work so hard for. And so there's a bitterness component that I see in a lot of the major brands that I work with, a lot of companies that I work with, because Gen X is saying, I had to work hard to get to this place and now millennials expect it. So call it entitlement, call it unrealistic expectations. That's where I think a lot of the frustration lies. And so when clarifying that is really important as millennials, I mean, millennials are as old as 39. So we're not the interns anymore. Um, Millennials are executives and managers and CEOs and, you know, frontline employees were all those things. Parents. And so it's in parents. Exactly. And so it's, it's understanding the generational flow and how that's actually impacted your decision-making mechanisms, your ideas of leadership and loyalty. Um, I could, you know, geek out on all the research that we've done just on that and what different words mean to different generations. Um, but I, I think many people don't want to admit, especially if they are millennials, that that generation has extremely impacted the way they see themselves and the way that they see the world. I, I well, I believe in everything kind of ebbs and flows, right? And so because I'm an economy type of guy, right? And it does. Honestly, I think the divide between boomers and millennials is that they're the same. And they just have 40 years more of experience or whatever, you know, 30 years more of experience. Sure. And so they were the ones challenging all the systems, you know, the baby boomers were the, were the, you know, let's, let's go change the way that we do things. Yeah. It was like, Whoa. And then this huge population. Right. And so now, you know, they're later in life and they're starting to they're they've lost a little bit of that, of that gung ho. And yeah. then they're seeing that in the millennials and it's like, wait, you're me, but I'm you. And it's like, I think there's a little bit of that exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, that they're, they're seeing the, the younger versions of themselves. And it's, uh, it, it causes some, uh, some fun between them. <laughs> right. And so, um, well, let's do this one real thing before we, uh, we got to cut off for the main interview and we can do the high impact series is so if we see this flow, right. And it's going all one way. I, when I see that and I hear people talk about like, you know, oh, you know, all of this is one way. I feel like it creates opportunities to go back the other way. And so I feel like that's kind of a little bit about what you guys do. And so, how would you describe, you know, to this, to your, to the millennial age group, the ability to help them further with their kids, you know, to connect with that, right? Because if it goes boomer X, millennial Z, and yeah. you're seeing more X and Z are more together, you know, more in that same kind of like driven, you know, purposeful type of deal. And then you've got boomers and millennials where it was kind of more like open and a different kind of mindset, like, how would you advise them to connect with Z? How millennial parents should connect. I mean, or Gen yeah. X parents should connect with no, Z. Uh, no, millennial parents. Cause you're, you're, that's 25 to 40 now, right? Around there. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're the parents now. And so instead of being, you know, how would you, because if, if you're telling me that like they went from 11th grade in, you know, decision-making of careers to yeah. seventh grade, that's a very different mindset. Mm-hmm. So my show is to be able to connect parents with their kids. And so how would you recommend that they approach that so that there isn't a drive between them. There isn't a rift between them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, the most important thing that you can be as a parent or as a person is to be curious. Mm. 
So whenever I teach what I call generational empathy, which is really just saying, hey, you're different than me and I want to learn more about you. You may have different priorities. I may think what you're wearing or what you think or who you vote for is ridiculous, but I'm going to be curious about it. And, and so if you replace the critical nature of how many of us approach people who are different than us, especially like people who are related to us or we've produced, um, we can be very critical about it, but replace that critical nature with a curiosity and something really powerful happens. Number one, if you're curious about why your kids do the things that they do or act a certain way, you're going to learn a lot about them. You may say, well, why are you on, you know, TikTok or doing this or trying that? And they may have a really profound reason that before you may think, oh, well, they're just addicted to their phones. Well, maybe it's something how they're processing new information or communicating with other people or helping someone through something really serious because it looks like they're scrolling on their phones. You're thinking, oh, well, it's completely useless. It's the medium that's changed. So being curious is going to be really important. You're going to learn something. It also too shows and models for your kids what, it, what empathy really looks like. We want to raise socially intelligent, emotionally intelligent kids. And you have to model the kind of behavior that you want someone to mirror. So if you look at your kids and there's a behavior in them that you don't appreciate, whether it's anger, lashing out, uh, being critical, gossiping, whatever that looks like, being disconnected, you have to start with yourself first. When I work with companies, parents, organizations, I always start with the executive team and say, okay, what behavior are we modeling that our people are mirroring? Because there's a permission piece as a parent that if you allow something, it will be allowed. And so it's really taking that back and recognizing what are the things, what are the attributes and characteristics I want to see in my kids? And how do I deeply instill that in myself, starting with that curiosity to show them that not only am I interested in them as individuals, but I want to help them even think through what they're doing, what they believe and why they believe it. And if you want to raise kids who can make decisions on their own, asking them why they made that kind of decision is a really great place to start. I would say the same thing for employees. And I absolutely love that because if you come with a purpose of why did you do things, you know, we, like we talked about earlier, we get mad at hows, right? Like they're sitting there doing something you don't agree with. You're like, stop doing that. Cause you're doing this. Right. And you're, you just sure. attach like a reason to why they're doing what they're doing instead of asking them why. And uh, I, I think that's a fantastic approach because you get to learn the mindset behind what they're doing as opposed to just saying, don't do that. And then sure. they don't, you know, then all the don'ts come out of the, out of your mouth. And that's fantastic. Um, Gabriel, uh, who should find you and where do they find you at? Sure. I mean, we work with companies, organizations, um, and individuals. And so we help them really bridge the generation gap, find purpose and apply in a really unique way. So folks can check out our book, uh, the purpose factor, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Barnes and Noble, anywhere books are sold. Um, and if they're interested in hanging out with us more, learning about how we teach people how to find their purpose, you can check us out at sevenfigurepurpose.com. It's the number sevenfigurepurpose.com. And that's just a free community where we offer training, um, insight, stories of how we've been able to help people. And it's a really great resource. That's fantastic. The uh, We'll put some links in the show notes for that as well. Uh, we're going to wrap up and get on to the high impact series. Thank you so much for coming on Money Talkers with me. I loved your insights and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information 
and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at the Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kids' financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker.